Morning. Hey, we want to show you another quick video. It was supposed to air earlier, but it had a little glitch. Uh, uh, presenting the Bibles to our third grade students, so we're going to try to do that right now. Almost. Here we go. Good morning again. Good to see all of you here this morning. It's, uh, this is uh, the largest crowd I think we've had since we started back, so it's nice to see you here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So in uh, 1999, an outspoken English professor, feminist and lesbian named Rosari, Rosaria uh, Butterfield came to faith in Christ. You can read her story in her book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She did not come to faith through the words of a street preacher, or any preacher. She did not come to faith because someone uh, invited her to church, although I'm sure that was part of what happened. She did not come to faith because someone gave her an outstanding evangelistic book or pamphlet. No, it all began because two people, two earnest followers of Jesus, practiced what we here at ECC call the touchstone of welcome. Through what Butterfield later referred to as radically ordinary hospitality, regular meals with these two people I mentioned, Ken and Floyd Smith, led to a friendship that eventually brought her to the place that she came to faith in Christ. Now last year, those of you who take part or took part in our CF class, our Christian Formation class on Sunday mornings, went through uh, another of her books. Uh, it was called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. So you know a bit of her story. And in an interview uh, about that book, when Rosaria Butterfield was asked about how important um, hospitality had been for her in being open to the good news of Jesus, this is how she answered the question. She said, quote, It made all the difference in the world, literally. Before I met Ken and Floyd Smith, I did not see how God's love could hold up next to poverty, child abuse, racism, and violence. I did not see how the good news could be good for someone like me, an out lesbian feminist. It seemed like the gospel's good news was only good for people who already fit into a politically conservative worldview, people who never had to worry about the things I had to worry about. Radically ordinary hospitality, what we call welcome, made all the difference in the world for Rosaria Butterfield, and she became open to the good news of Jesus. In my heart of hearts, in my heart of hearts, I believe that that kind of hospitality can make all the difference in the world for people in your life, for people in my life, for people in our community, and people who discover us online. Radically ordinary hospitality. That is, hospitality without pretense, with no strings attached, simply welcoming people into our lives, into our homes, and into our churches. No strings attached. So the good news we want to start with this morning is simply this. God in Christ welcomes all people. God in Christ welcomes all people. So this morning we begin a three-week sermon series looking at our three ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence. These sermons will be an introduction to the coming program year this year at ECC. Each season, fall, winter, and spring, we're going to look at one of these touchstones. And we're going to do it in detail. We're going to invite everyone to join us in diving as deeply as they think they can, making as fruitful a conversation as we possibly can. And this morning, we're going to start with a touchstone of welcome. 
If our mission statement is to be a community of people who know God, follow Jesus, and pursue God's purposes in the world, then it all starts with the touchstone of welcome. Welcome is the gateway to all of it. People will come to know God when we welcome them into our lives, into our churches, and as was the case for Rosaria Butterfield, into our homes. So a little bit of a refresher. In times of old, the touchstone was a black, grainy rock, a stone, that you, if you were going to go buy gold, for example, you would take your stone with you, and you had already had some gold, so you scratched gold on it, and you knew what gold looked like against this stone. And so you would go to the vendor, you'd say, I want to buy some gold. They'd say, okay, here's some gold. You would take the gold, you would scratch against the stone. And if the two (laughs) scratches matched, well, you could buy the gold. If they didn't match, you were about to get ripped off. So you knew not to buy it. It's the way you measured whether the metal was genuine or not, if it was real. So we measure our lives and our ministry against the touchstone of welcome to make sure they are real, they are genuine, we are real, we are genuine as well. By welcome, we mean that we are a place of hospitality, grace, and community for all people. We are a people of hospitality, grace, and community for all people. Now, to say that we are these things is a statement of faith and a statement of intention. We're not there yet, but by the grace of God, we believe we are on our way. And to say that we welcome all people may be disconcerting for some. It may make some of us nervous, though I hope not. Because when we say we want to welcome all people, we mean we want to welcome all people. Regardless of whatever might make them different or other than who we are. That is not to say that we necessarily condone everything about those we welcome. No no more than you condone everything about me when you welcome me, my anger, my pride, whatever my issues are, whatever your issues are. It means welcome. It's God's job to condone or to judge, not ours. As Romans 15, 7 tells us, we are to love and welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And we are to welcome strangers into our community, and we are to do so with hospitality and grace. When the Apostle Paul wrote those words in Romans 15, he was writing to followers of Jesus who were different than one another, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. They differed from one another culturally, ethnically, politically, religiously, racially, theologically. That is, they differed from one another in many of the same ways you and I differ from one another today. And yet they were one in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, just as each of you have been welcomed by Christ, so you ought to welcome one another, for God in Christ welcomes all people. After studying the passage from Hebrews that you heard read earlier, Hebrews 13, I, I, became, I picked that passage a few weeks ago. I looked at it, it kind of spoke to me, so let's go with that. After studying it, though, I realized it's not the best passage for this morning. So you can see... Uh, we're going to have something else to look at in just a minute. It's not the best passage. Uh, it does speak of hospitality. It does speak of welcome, of course. But in context, it seems to be more about, it seems to be more about welcoming traveling preachers and missionaries. Those are the strangers. Or when it talks about prison, it's about, or those who are mistreated, it's talking about visiting those in prison or who have been mistreated because of their faith. They've been persecuted. I don't think that's exclusively what those things are talking about. I think there is room to extend their meaning to non-Christians even in the text, but I don't want to force the text to say too much. 
It shows us, it gives us a jumping off point, however. It shows us what our, our demeanor can and should be in a time of upheaval or chaos or difficulty. Plus, the scripture, that reading that you heard was pre-recorded, and I didn't want to mess with the system by asking that another passage be reread and re-recorded. Hebrews 13 does have some of the themes we're looking for, but Galatians 2 does a better job. So we're going to move from Hebrews to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. We're going to use Hebrews' instructions on love and hospitality as a jumping off point, as a springboard into the Apostle Paul's very challenging words to the Galatian church. When we first began to talk about this particular touchstone a year or so ago, it was tempting to pit welcoming others against welcoming one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a false dichotomy. It isn't either or, it's both and. If we do not know how to welcome one another, we are going to be terrible at welcoming the stranger. If we do not know how to welcome the stranger, we are going to be terrible at welcoming one another. Now, we will do both. This morning, we get a, begin to look at a lengthy passage in Galatians 2, which we'll visit again next week when we talk about the touchstone of transformation. Paul's letter to the Galatian churches is set in a divisive, polarized context, not unlike where we find ourselves today in the United States of America. We already know what is dividing our nation. We know what is dividing our churches. Theology, politics, <clears throat> culture, religion, and race. Jews and Gentiles did not <clears throat> always get along. In fact, they sometimes thought the absolute worst of one another. In addition to that division and that polarization, fully two-fifths of Paul's letter to the Gla- I'm going to, this is great, on TV. It will happen again. Fully two-fifths of Paul's letter to the Galatians is him defending himself and defending his ministry. There is a background of us and them, a tone that runs throughout the letter. I hear you all clearing your throats for me. Thank you very much. But of primary concern for Paul was this desire on behalf of some to exclude the Gentiles, to exclude them from the good news of the gospel unless they changed their behavior and began to act like Jews first. If Gentiles wanted into the kingdom of God, they should keep the Sabbath. They should abstain from certain foods. The men should be circumcised. It would be the same as if Ken and Floyd Smith had said to Rosaria Butterfield that she must first renounce her beliefs and her lesbian relationships before she was welcome at their table. Now I ask you, is that how Christ, the friend of sinners, would want his followers to act? The one who left the 99 sheep in the fold safely to go out and find the one sheep who was lost. At one point early in Galatians 1, Paul accuses these misled and misleading Galatians of being false believers. He says they are proclaiming, quote, a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And then he pronounces God's curse on them, not once but twice. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Early in chapter 2, Paul says of these false believers who were attempting to make them slaves again to the Jewish law, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
<clears throat> we didn't give him to him for a moment. Something at the heart of Paul's message, the truth of the gospel, was being hindered and resisted by these false believers. What was it? First and foremost, the, these, these false believers, these teachers, for them, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and faith in these things was not enough. The Judaizers, as they were known, wanted to add to their faith in Christ the keeping of the Jewish law. When you do these things and obey these biblical laws, they said, then you are welcome at the table. Then you can worship with us. But for Paul, anything other than salvation by grace through faith must be resisted. For that is the center of the gospel. Because of their faulty theology, these false teachers were excluding others from the church and the kingdom of God. They were not welcoming all people. For these false believers, the us were the Jewish Christians and the them were the Gentiles, but God has made a way, and God's hospitality and grace for all people is also the truth of the gospel. And it needed to be preserved. Our ECC touchstone of welcome is part of the good news of God for us and for all people, even and especially those who are different from us, even our enemies. For God in Christ welcomes all people. And we are to welcome others as God in Christ has welcomed us. Paul then continues to write in Galatians 2 that the decision reached by him and these other apostles and leaders was that he should go and bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. He should go and welcome those who had previously been unwelcomed. But then Paul tells, and I love this part, Paul tells of a run-in that he had with the apostle Peter who is known also as Cephas in this passage. Of a run-in that he had with Peter who had given in to peer pressure and reverted back to another way of life, a pre-Jesus way of relating to Gentiles. Instead of welcoming Gentiles and eating with them, Peter has separated himself from them. He is pulled back. Paul writes in verse 11, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That's the Judaizers. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. These Galatians are failing to embrace all the people Jesus embraced. Things used to be so cut and dried, they thought, so clear, but now with this grace by faith thing, it's all rather messy. So true. It is messy. But here they are. They have had the likes of the Apostle Paul teaching them and preaching to them, but some of them have been led astray anyway. And even, even a respected figure like Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, he has gone to the dark side in this. He's fallen into the trap of an us and them mentality, a polarization between Jews and everyone else. And this not only denies the power of the gospel for the saving of all who believe, it rebuilds the dividing wall of hostility that Jesus has destroyed, the the dividing wall of hostility, hostility in the temple that separated Gentiles from Jews, that separated the people of God from all others whom God loves and for whom 
Christ came, lived, died, and rose again. Paul then tells us how he dealt with Peter's hypocrisy. Verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Look, Peter, Paul says, you don't even live as Jews are supposed to live, and yet you want to make Gentiles do that? Peter, his behavior reminds me of an old joke about Baptists, and I can say this because I used to be one. A Baptist is a person who doesn't say hi to you in the liquor store. <laughs> Takes a minute. <clears throat> Peter is a hypocrite. He is living out his freedom in Christ, but he denies others that freedom. He eats what he wants to eat. He throws pork and shrimp on the barbecue. He may have a glass of wine with dinner or a beer after mowing the yard. But he denies the same freedom for the Gentiles by separating himself from them, by withdrawing from them. So Paul goes after him. For the sake of saving his own skin and keeping the peace, Peter sides with those who believe that Gentiles have to act like Jews if they're going to be welcomed into the community of faith, let alone the kingdom of God. Peter is not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He who had been welcomed by God in Christ in spite of all his failure in sin, and there's plenty of that, he denies that same sense of welcome for others. And then Paul reminds them that we are all in the same boat, Jew and Gentile alike. Verse 15, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Neither Gentiles nor the Jews enter into God's kingdom by what they have accomplished. None of us can earn it. We all enter by the grace of God alone. Now, if we pick up this Galatian predicament and we move it a couple of thousand years into the future and we drop it down right here in our situation, who are the Jews and who are the Gentiles in our context? The Jews are the insider, as are those who gather and worship with ECC in this room or online. If you're hearing my voice, you are likely an insider. Those who are set apart, redeemed, the people of God. Everyone else is an outsider, a Gentile, if we use this model. Or to make it more personal, you and your household, if you have come to faith in Christ, you are God's people. You are the insiders. And everyone else, everyone who is not you, everyone who is different than you, theologically, politically, culturally, racially, religiously, they are the Gentiles. They are on the outside. They are the ones Paul is upset about. They are the ones who aren't here yet. They are the ones Peter has withdrawn from. They are the ones we are to welcome into our lives and into our congregation. The, the outsider is the one sheep Jesus leaves the 99 to go and pursue. They are the all people for whom we at ECC want to be a place of hospitality, grace, and community. They are the ones you and I in this congregation are called to welcome into our church, 
into our homes and our lives. Why? Because God in Christ welcomes all people. Rosaria Butterfield is now a follower of Jesus. She's married to a pastor in the Reformed Presbyterian Church. She and her husband have four children. How did she go from mere curiosity about Jesus to one who is on the road to Christiformity in Jesus? She was loved into it. She wasn't argued into it. She was loved into it. She was welcomed by people like you and me who love Jesus and seek to represent him in the world. In her autobiography, she writes of Ken and Floyd Smith and others who welcomed her. She says, quote, God's people surrounded me not to manipulate, not to badger, but to love and to listen and to watch and to pray. And eventually, instead of resisting, I surrendered. Elsewhere, she says that our job in welcoming strangers and in living lives of radically ordinary hospitality is to, quote, get close enough to the stranger to put her hand into the hand of the Savior. We need to get close enough to the stranger to put her hand into the hand of of the Savior. It's beautiful. What can you and I do to get close enough to the strangers in our lives, in our community, so that we might put their hands into the hands of the Savior? Here at ECC, we want to be a people of radically ordinary hospitality, a people of welcome. We want to become a place of hospitality, grace, and community for all people including those we may consider our enemies. And again, it's tempting to say, oh, I don't, I don't have enemies. Let's just admit we do. I've told you before that the Book of Common Prayer helps us in that. that their, their translation of the 23rd Psalm says uh, of God, you, you spread a table before me in the presence, not of my enemies, as so many other translations say. Rather, it says, you spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. Let's go with that. Who troubles you? Who troubles you? Who are the Gentiles in your life? The ones you know, the ones you don't know, the ones you see on TV, the ones on your news feeds. And when we consider these people, all of them made in the image of God, all of them made, all of them made in the image of God, how are we to respond to the good news that God in Christ welcomes all people? I have a few ideas. First, if you haven't already done so, you heard about it earlier, but I want to uh, say it again. Consider letting us know to what degree you can participate in our love over fear emphasis this fall. A study in the glorious, brilliant, scandalous love of God as we seek to learn more about what it means to love our enemies. And if all you can manage to do right now <clears throat> is to participate in Sunday mornings, that's fine. We're going to do our best to make this as meaningful as we possibly can for you. But if you want to be a part of a, a group to study and read the book, Love Over Fear Together, in person or online, please let us know that. Whether you are part of a group study or not, I really want to strongly encourage you to buy the book, get it from the library, and read it, or it's available on Hoopla and you can listen to it. It's a, it's a really well-written book. It's challenging, it's provocative, and it's hopeful. If you decide to join a group, you can choose your frequency of meeting once a week, twice a month, or even once a month. We also want to offer groups for anyone who 
Maybe they, they haven't got the energy to study right now. Maybe they just need people. They need connection. They need community. So you can sign up for a group like that, too, just to be with people, just to connect, whether it's online or in person. So please, in order to do all of that, go to ecclife.net slash LOF. That stands for Love Over Fear. As you can see, the, the links are in the Bible app and in the downloadable bulletin. Second, a couple of weeks ago, we laid down the connection challenge. This is a challenge to help us welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed each of us. Now, we can't always all get together like we'd like to right now. But how can we be welcoming to one another? How can we find ways to connect? So please think of at least two people from ECC. That shouldn't be hard. If you haven't seen in a while, and give them a call. I'm thinking of a conversation, and I won't say the person's name because I didn't ask that I had with an older person in our congregation who wanted to remind me that the rest of us seem to have a little more freedom now to move around, but she doesn't. Who are those people? Who are those people? Don't forget about them. Make a connection. Make a connection. Give them a call. Welcome them to the best of your ability as God in Christ has welcomed you. Both of these responses to the good news can be found in the Bible app live event and in our bulletin. For this morning's prayer, I'm going to invite you to just a moment of silence, then I'm going to pray a prayer that was written by John of Damascus, who lived from 676 to 749 A.D. Would you join with me as we pause for a moment of silence, and then I'll close in prayer.